Now hear a reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 28. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He reached a certain place where he decided to camp because the sun had gone down. He took one of the stones and placed it near his head. Then he fell asleep in that place and had a dream. He saw a stairway erected on the earth with its top reaching to the heavens. The angels of God were going up and coming down it, and the Lord stood at its top. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the ground you are lying on. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. And so all the families of the earth may receive blessings through you and through your descendants. I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob woke up and thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, but I did not realize it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is nothing else than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed near his head and set it up as a sacred stone. Then he poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, although the former name of the town was Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God is with me and protects me on this journey I am taking, and give me, gives me food to eat and clothing to wear, and I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will become my God. Then this stone that I have set up as a sacred stone will be the house of God, and I will surely give you back a tenth of everything you give me. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, please speak to us about your word. Father, we believe that when we say, speak to us about your word, that you actually do. But we need ears to hear. We need eyes to see. We need hearts to believe. Lord, would you break through all of the walls and filters that we have set up, that we could encounter the living God. Have your way in the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. I kind of love as we are listening to the Lord that we're hearing babies, like that's actually a pretty good way to listen to God. I know the mamas may not feel that way, but we feel that way, so thank you. Um, so this, this story, this famous story of Jacob having this dream and Jacob's ladder, you know, you may have heard of Jacob's ladder or, or the stairway to heaven, or at least you've heard the song, the stairway to heaven. It's a story about God, like, encountering someone in a profound way. And people throughout history have had a sense of the transcendent. You know, whether or not they're believers in, in the God of the Bible, we've had a, a sense of the transcendent. This this morning, I was walking here, and uh, the sun was, like, like poking and, like, ripping through the clouds, you know. And, the, and then there's those those fingers, the beams of light that shoot out and... And I was just like stunned as I looked at it and thought, is that one of those moments where you think, of course, of course, that like you see something like that and it's more than just what you're seeing. You have this feeling of someone, something powerful and beautiful out there. It, it, it's so beautiful, this everyday thing, that it must point to something bigger. The, the natural world is full of clues 
that have convinced people throughout the ages that there are, there are powers beyond what our eyes can see. And once in a while, these powers, these things, whatever, it breaks into our theater of operation. It pokes in so obviously that, that we can't deny it. The faith of the Hebrew people is founded on exactly that. A God who give, introduces himself as Yahweh, showing himself to Abraham and promising to stay with Abraham's family throughout the generations, right? And he does, and he shows himself to them over and over again. And, and, and here we are, you know, not only talking about God in this service, but like talking to him and believing that he's listening to us and asking him to speak to us and believing that he would. I mean, we're here, you guys, because we believe that there is a, that, that there, the creator of the universe is a living, active personality that, that somehow like little us in the, the basement of an, another church could be interacting directly with him. Isn't that, I mean, that is crazy, right? But that's what we believe. He's involved with us. And this story that we just heard, this story of Jacob's dream, I mean, guys, he is the last person that you would expect to have an, an encounter with God like this. He's, if you followed Jacob's story up to this point, that this, this makes no sense. The last time we saw Jacob in the last chapter, he's lying to his dad to steal his brother's inheritance. That's the last time we saw him. He, in fact, when he lies to his dad, he invokes the Lord's name in order to prove that he is his brother. <laughs> so he uses God's name to lie to his dad to steal the blessing. That's the guy we're talking about. And now, he, in another scheme that his mom cooks up, he's on the run, literally leaving the promised land that God told the whole family to stay in, leaving it, and and away in the, you know, he's like in the dark, in the desert, sleeping on a rock. I mean, this, this is the last guy you would expect. Night falls. He lies down with his head on a stone. And he's, he's like a dead man. In fact, the fear of death is all around him. He's overtaken by darkness. And as he drifts into a troubled sleep, he is swept away by this vivid dream. He sees the Lord, and the Lord makes this stunning promise to this deceptive, fugitive con man. The Lord says, I'll be with you. I'll protect you. I'll give you descendants that will be so numerous, they'll be like dust that blows in every direction. And at the very heart of the promise is, I will be with you. Remember, the first people to hear the stories in Genesis are the Israelites. They're wandering similar to Jacob in the wilderness, sleeping on stones. They have enemies around. They have uh, the, the danger of hunger and thirst and wild animals and the rest. 
and they need to hear, no matter what they do, the same words. I will be with you. That's the very promise they need to hear. That's the very promise, you guys, that Jesus makes to his followers at the end of his life, after his resurrection. He gives them the great commission. You know, go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And, And remember, I am with you to the very end. That's the very same promise that he makes. So let's... Uh, like, let's not let this just be a, an academic exercise. Let's not just be intellectual here. I want to invite you, you don't have to, but I want to invite you to uh, do a little exercise with me. So if you're willing, let's engage more than just our minds. You know, get, get yourself in your chair in kind of a comfortable posture. You know, uh, maybe place your hands on your knees, palms up, kind of relax. You can... You can close your eyes if you're willing. And uh, just, just take through your nose just a nice, big, deep, slow breath all the way down to your belly button. As you do it, kind of focus on the muscles in your head or your face, your neck, your shoulders. As you breathe, out, let those all just relax. The Bible says that God is spirit, he's wind, he's breath. And as you breathe in, imagine his presence filling you. As you breathe out, imagine all your efforts to impress him, just letting go of them. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, if you participated in that just now, and it's okay if you didn't, your body went through some wonderful physiological effects just now. Uh, Your heart rate slowed, blood vessels opened up, endorphins were released, literally. With deep breaths, you guys, you are releasing endorphins in your brain, like, you know, causing sort of a peaceful, pleasurable sensation. It's calming and pleasant. Without a doubt, the regular practice of just pausing to take deep, calming breaths can have a wonderful, healthy effect on anyone, on anyone. So here's my question. Did you just now experience the presence of God in those good feelings? Um, How about like this morning when I saw the sunrise or, or, that, or that feeling when there's a key change in a, in a live concert <laughs> or in a, you know, like we don't often have the electric guitar up here true next week, okay? You know, the power chords hit, you know, for, or you feel the bass. Is that the, is that the presence of God? You know, we, we actually can do a lot of things with our physical environment and, and the words that we say and, and our setting to, um, to create these feelings in ourselves. Is it, is it the presence of God? Um, as we talk about God's presence, I don't want us to confuse certain feelings that we can create for the real thing. 
On the other hand, I think there's reason to believe that the living God is near to us right now. He's revealing himself to us even now, and he can use the stuff that we just did, but he's near not because of the endorphins. He's near for another reason. So to, to be consciously aware of the presence of God, it's, it is one of the climactic experiences in life. I know some of you have had this experience in your life, some of you. You know that sensation of like energy and love and joy being in a place where you're like, I'm being used exactly as I was meant to be used, or you, you, you know, an act of generosity, a simple encouragement. You know how it feels to listen for God's voice and actually hear something or have a thought hit you or somebody says something to you that you think, yeah, that's God speaking to me. That it may be a sensation when you read your Bible or listen to a message and you think, God prepared this moment just for me. It's a wonderful experience. And some of you have had it. On the other hand, I would wager that all of you have experienced the other side of what I'm talking about. Some of you might know what God's presence feels like, but all of you, I would think, know what the feeling of his absence feels like. It's, it seems to be kind of the unfortunate default for, for most people. I think for me, that feeling, it, it's, and, and when I'm there, it's not that I've ceased to believe anything. I continue to believe that God is a personal, powerful, even omnipresent spirit, that he is with us no matter the highest heights or the lowest depths, he remains with us. We can't escape him. But sometimes it's like knowing that the earth is, you know, two-thirds water, but you're living in a drought. <laughs> that feeling, that dry, tired, maybe depressed feeling, you're self-reliant. You cry out with the psalmist. You're like, I'm, I'm like a, a deer that's panting for flowing streams of water. That's how much my soul is longing for you, oh God. But I'm in a dry and thirsty place. Friends, if you've experienced both God's presence and his absence, you probably find yourself tempted to try to control the feeling, right? Kind of like we just did at the, at the beginning of this sermon. Um, there's things that we do, prayer, fasting, regular worship, they seem to help. We know the things that seem to hurt too, the things that make it harder to experience it. Things like, well, spending too much time watching TV or scrolling the internet, right? Uh, uh, reading news, uh, 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 social media, not, not getting enough sleep, using other things to try to get the feeling that we really want from God, whether it's entertainment or substances or thrills or, or whatever. Eventually, all of these things actually leave us feeling drier, longing more. So I wonder, is it as simple as that? Is it as simple as like, you live a certain way and you experience the presence of God and, and, and if you do other things, it goes away and you kind of numb yourself out to it. Hmm. Well, our story 
is proof that it may not be so simple. Jacob is anything but a virtuous man who has postured himself to experience God's presence. He hasn't been praying and fasting and doing the right thing and giving generously. He's fleeing the promised land to save his own skin after lying to his dad and cheating his brother. I mean, the answer is obviously no, it's not so simple. This story contains some clues, I think, that could help us grasp and trust the presence of God in our own lives. So we're going to define it and talk about how we respond to it and how we remember it. Okay, so when, when I say the presence of God, let's define it here. I don't really mean like the presence of God as opposed to the absence, because we believe that God is omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere at once. You know, Paul uh, writes that, that, you know, like, we live and move and have our being within the mind of God. It's a remarkable idea. So when I'm talking about the presence of God, I'm really talking about a revelation of the presence of God. Him making himself known. The uncovering of something that's always there. And yet, we're ordinarily not aware of it. Did you hear how shocked Jacob was when he wakes up from the dream? Like, surely the Lord is here. And I didn't even realize it. One commentator says a good translation could be, I could just kick myself. I can't believe this. You know, the schemer is on the run to save his neck. The only way he's interacted with the Lord in his life, it seems, is, is, to use the Lord's name to cheat his family. He's hardly a believer. He's hardly even a seeker of God. The experience of the presence of God is something that can just break in. In fact, I think that's why dreams are ways that people often think, God's, that must be God. Because I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone who can like control their dreams. You know, can, Maybe you think you're trying to, you know, you're telling yourself to run and it actually works in the dream or something. But most of us are like, I I'm trying to run and I can't move. You know, you know that feeling or, or I didn't know I was in this class and it's finals week. Uh, that type of experience. We were just talking about uh, recurring, those weird recurring dreams. But, but when we have, once in a while we have dreams and it's like, that, I think that means something. You know, you have that sense that there's, something big going on in a dream. Like I, people all along, all throughout history have had dreams and they've thought, this must be God because I didn't do anything to make this happen. And this dream seems to have big meaning. It'll happen again and again in the book of Genesis and, and throughout the Bible. Stories and scenes play out in our dreams. We can't choose them or control them. It's not like choosing what channel to watch. Well, in this dream... Jacob sees a, a structure. Now, we call it a staircase. This Hebrew word shows up only here, nowhere else in anywhere in, in ancient Hebrew writing. So we're just kind of guessing. But Jacob sees a structure, and it's something that angels can use, you know, to get around. They're getting up and down from heaven to earth. Uh, it's, it's a passageway, a, a vertical bridge. The way the structure is described actually would bring a, 
if you've been following Genesis really carefully, it, would, it, it might bring your mind back to another scene. Because in Genesis chapter 11, people tried to build this structure themselves. The Tower of Babel is an attempt to build a structure to control the revelation, right? Like, oh, don't worry about coming to us, God. We'll come to you. You know, don't call me. I'll call you kind of deal. Right? So that's what the Tower of Babel is. People are, are trying to control their experience with God, try to, try to become equals with him, so to speak. The Tower of Babel divided the nations. And here again in this dream, when he's seeing the structure, Jacob hears the Lord say, through you, all the nations will be blessed. He's going to unite them again. So God reveals himself. That's, that's what I mean when I say the experience in the presence of God. I mean a revelation of it. So, so what do we do when it happens? What does Jacob do? Let's start with that. First, Jacob is, he's just stunned. I didn't realize it. it it's, uh, I love that line. It's, that's the schemer again. All right, Jacob, he's always trying to find an angle in every situation. That's the, that's the guy we've seen here. And he's like, man, if I had known God was going to show up, I would have thought of a way to con him too. It seems to be that his tone, you know, like he's here and I didn't realize it. Dang, why didn't you tell me? Um, he's always looking for an advantage, but he's, he's stunned. If, he's actually shocked. He's terrified. He's in awe. And so he marks the place as special. In, in Celtic spirituality, um, there's talk of thin places. Have you guys heard that term, thin places? A thin place is this idea like, oh, whenever I go here, I feel like closer, closer to spiritual things, closer to the Lord. Uh, for me, Eagle Lake Camp is a thin place. Eagle Lake Camp is the summer camp I went to as a kid. And, and just last year, my two big girls went for the first time. And, uh, and when we dropped them, you know, we got there, we dropped them off. I, it's like my heart could feel it. Do you guys know that feeling? You're back in a really special place that you haven't been to in years. Like I have connected with God in this place. That's how it felt. So Jacob sets up a stone and names this place, the house of God. And he commits to return. Man, that I think People, we do this all the time. There's places that just have significant memories for you. Maybe there's a parking lot where you had a really important conversation, you know, and every time you go back to that parking lot, you think, oh, this is where, you know, this is where I had that talk. Place matters. I, I, I feel a, a great concern about the growing trend of virtual church. You know, people kind of staying home and watching because we're losing that place. We're losing that, that sense of like something special happens when we gather together. Something special happens in this room. We're formed and shaped in and by places. And, and this place in our story, Bethel, it will become really important to the people of Israel. They'll come back here many times. They'll, they'll keep the Ark of the Covenant here. They'll, you know, they'll set up places of worship. Eventually, they'll distort this place, and they'll set up idol worship in this place. And, and this place will become, it will go from being a really good place to a place that's a, a, a source of their shame. So we can make too much of places, too. 
The last thing that Jacob does is he makes this vow in response to the Lord. Now, the vow is really interesting. Um, it's an if-then. Okay, if you're with me and if you protect me and if you give me clothes to wear and food to eat, then, and, and, and if you bring me back to this place, then you'll be my God and I'll even give you a tenth of everything that I have. Um, commentators are really split on this. Some say, this is Jacob, you know, showing finally spiritual maturity and belief and, and, and it's a transformative experience in his life. And others are like, look, he's like immediately trying to use God to get rich. And like, okay, sure, yeah. If you hold up your end of the deal, I could probably reciprocate a little bit. Sure, let's make a deal. You, it may um, be obvious which one I think it is. Um, it, this is, it seems like just Jacob being Jacob again. So he responds uh, in a way that seems pretty sleazy to me. How do we respond? We could also say Jacob's response is just kind of honest. Remember, he might not really be a believer. He's just a guy who's looking to, he's one of those guys by personality that's always looking for a, a, an angle, a way to get ahead. And that's that he just, it's Jacob being Jacob in this moment. He's, he's honest. Um, how, how do we respond? I, usually, I would think that if you had an experience where you think, wow, God is near, you'd be similar to Jacob. You'd be stunned. You'd remember that place. You might make too much of it. And you might also think about what's in it for me in this. Friends, um, for people in church leadership, we if we have a profound spiritual experience, we immediately think like, how can I share this with my people? There's this little thing like, I want people to know that I'm spiritual, that I have these profound experiences. You know, maybe they'll follow me more. Um, it's a great temptation to use these experiences, to, to look for what's in it ahead, uh, what in, what's in it for us. We are all just like Jacob. The Jacob way is to use worship to try to get ahead, to pray or fast, to show how spiritual you are. Um, you know, Jesus, in fact, says, hey, when you do acts of righteousness, it's best to do them in secret. When you pray, go, close the door, get in a secret place and pray. When you fast, try not to let anyone know you're fasting. When you give, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, Because if we're looking for all that other stuff, we get really concerned about what's in it for us. And, and, and Jesus goes on to say, in fact, just don't worry. Don't, don't worry about, about, huh, your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. In the famous teaching about not worrying, Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. What are the two things that Jacob added to the Lord's promise. Did you notice that? The Lord makes this amazing promise. I'll be with you. I'll protect you. I'll give you kids that are like dust that spread out. You'll bless the whole world. Jacob's like, yeah, all that. And could you throw in food and clothes for me? Like, 
Don't you think that was assumed? But he wants to add it on. And Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear. And at the end of this don't worry teaching, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Huh. As Jesus talks about the same, like the vows that Jacob made, he then goes on to talk about seeking the presence of God. In the Jacob story, it kind of happens to him. But Jesus invites us to pursue it, to ask for it. In fact, he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And I think that that's how we respond. When we're hearing about the presence of God or when we're experiencing the presence of God, ask, seek, and knock. And in the asking, I think that's where the, the ways that we can adjust our environment or our bodies to be more open can be really helpful. That breathing exercise we just did, friends, that was a form of asking. It's just a form of asking. Lord, will you come close to me? I'm asking for your presence. He says, it'll be given to you. And if you don't think you deserve his presence, look at Jacob. Like, God comes to him in this amazing dream. Seek. Jacob woke up and was stunned that God had met him. I wonder how often God reveals himself to us in subtle ways, and we don't realize that he's been revealing himself to us. Um, so noticing the presence of God, I think, is a, a skill that we can develop. Seeking is, is kind of a skill that we can develop. Um, Dave and Georgia have told me many times about a practice they have weekly where they, they say, what, what God glimpses did we get this week? How did we notice God in our, in our lives? All right? So seek and you will find. You don't, you don't think God's at work in your life? Well, remember Jacob. Like, God is using him when he thinks he's using everyone else. And finally, knock, knock. I love the, how tangible knock is. Like, I mean, he's talking about an, a, a place, a door. Go to the place that you know God is. Go to his house and knock. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And if you don't think you're in the right place to knock, well, Jacob's laying on a rock in the dark in the wilderness on his way out of the promised land. And God comes to him there. This is where we put it all together. Jesus tells us to remember his presence with us. What does it mean to remember? Well, Jacob placed a stone in this place to remember. He set it up. And he maybe turned it vertical to look just like the stairway that he saw in his dream. He called the place God's house. But Jesus' disciple, Peter, he would talk about stones in a different way. He would say, you, believers in Jesus, are living stones. 
You're an anointed people. You're the stones with oil on them. And when you gather together, hi kids, welcome back. When you gather together as his followers in his name, Jesus said he would be with us. You know, Jesus quotes this story directly in his teaching, not just, not just the Sermon on the Mount, what I mentioned before, but at the very beginning of his ministry in the Gospel of John, he's gathering some disciples together, and he meets, you know, he meets one disciple named Nathaniel. And right when he meets Nathaniel, he said, Ah, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now that's a play on words because the name Jacob can mean, can mean deceiver. All right. Doesn't always mean deceiver for parents of Jacob's here, but it can mean deceiver. Um, so here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. He's talking about Jacob. And, the, and the, this guy, Nathaniel, says, well, how do you know me, man? He says, well, I saw you under the fig tree. I don't know what that means for Nathaniel, but it means something huge to him. As soon as he says, Jesus says that to Nathaniel, Nathaniel's like, whoa, you're the son of God. <laughs> like there's something about it. So maybe God's, you know, he's like, oh, Jesus knows I was meeting with God under the fig tree. I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus says, you think, I, you, you think it's amazing that I said I saw you under the fig tree? I tell you, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. What's he quoting? He's quoting the dream. And who's the staircase? He is. The Son of Man is the staircase. He is the ultimate thin place. That's where we come to meet with God. That's where we knock. That's where we ask. That's where we seek at Jesus. He's the ladder. And friends, he gave himself to us. One of the, throughout history, one of the profound places that the people of God have had a revelation of his presence is at the communion table and the Eucharist. When we come to the table, it's like the Jacob's ladder right here. The angels of God ascending and descending. We call this a sacrament. One way to think of a sacrament is it's a window that we open between heaven and earth. That's what's happening here. God's spirit is with us in and through this wine and bread. So do you guys want to ask, seek, and knock together? Let's do it. On the very night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, take this and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We believe that even though he's spiritually present with us now, this is a promise that he's physically coming back. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for offering your presence to us. 
you say you're like a good father who would give good gifts to your children when you ask. And if good fathers give their kids food and clothing, how much more will, will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask you? And so we're asking you now, Lord, as we come to this table, we're like Jacob. We don't earn it. We, we, we're often running from you. And yet I pray, Lord, that you would meet with us. That at, that at this table and in this worship, we also, like him, would say, surely the living God is in this place. So open us up. In Jesus' name, amen.